missionary that we talked about last week, before we move fully to these windows, we also spoke about Albert Schweitzer. And if you remember, he's that guy who has three PhDs, and I'm still sad I don't have the one. <laughs> so he had those PhDs in music and theology, and finally he got one in medicine, because at the age of 30, he said, I need to use my life, spend my life serving the Lord. And so he did. Uh, but along the way, he wrote and wrote a lot of things. And some of them are controversial. Some of them are uh, difficult to swallow. And some of them are just beautiful. And I read some of his things um, this, this last summer, the summer in preparation for the class, to get a, get a little insight into who these people were. And I want to share um, just a few quotes with you from Albert Schweitzer. And this one was written to the woman who would become his wife, Hélène. Breslau, uh, in 1904. Uh, so the language may be a little different than we're used to, but uh, I think that the words are, uh, are good, good to be uh, reminded of. So Schweitzer writes, sometimes it seems as if I had arrived beyond clouds and stars and could see the world in the most wonderful clarity and therefore the right to be a heretic. People were calling him a heretic at this time, right? That book, for the historical Jesus questioned the Gospels. Were they really writing exactly what happened, or can we peel back some layers and see what really happened? That's what Schweitzer was talking about. But he writes, to know only Jesus of Nazareth, to continue his work as the only religion, not to bear what Christianity has absorbed over the years in vulgarity, not to be afraid of hell, not to strive for the joys of heaven, not to live in false fear, not the fake devotion that has become an essential part of our religion. But last night, last night before I went to sleep, I read the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, because I especially love the verse where it says, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are my brothers, you did it to me. But when it came to the last judgment and the separation of the sheep from the goats, I smiled. I did not want to belong to the sheep. And in heaven, I will cert would certainly meet quite a lot whom I do not like. St. Loyola, St. Hieronymus, and a few Prussian church leaders. And be friendly with them? To exchange a brotherly kiss with them? No. I decline. Rather, to hell. There the crowd will be much more genial. With Julian, Apostate, Caesar, Socrates, Plato, and Heraclitus, one can have a fruitful conversation. Yes, I serve him. Because of him. Only because of him. Because he is the truth. The only happiness. So, there's some difficult things in there to follow, right? But uh, still, I, I found beauty in these words that for him, it's not about heaven or hell. It's about serving Jesus and serving Jesus alone. Not the rewards that we reap in service, but serving Jesus. And then um, he wrote an epilogue to a book um, called The uh, Theology of Albert Schweitzer. And this was back uh, in the early 20th century. We may have these same sentiments today in 2018, uh, but he was writing these all probably 100 years ago. And he said, we are at the beginning of the end of the human race. Well, we, if we turn on the news, we might hear those same things today, right? The question before it is whether it will use is will use for beneficial purposes or for purposes of destruction and power which modern science has placed in its hands. So he was a big proponent of denuclearization. Let's stop atomic bomb testing. So that's what he's responding to here. So long as its capacity for destruction was limited, it was possible to hope that reason would set a limit to disaster. Such an illusion is impossible today where power is illimitable. Our only hope is that the Spirit of God will strive with the Spirit of the world and will prevail. The last petition of the Lord's Prayer has again its original meaning for us in a prayer for deliverance from the dominion of the evil powers of the world. These are no less real to us as working in men's minds instead of being embodied in angelic beings opposed to God. The first believers set their hopes solely upon the kingdom of God, an expectation for the end of the world. We do it in expectation of the end of the human race. But 
there can be no kingdom in the world without the kingdom of God here in our hearts. The starting point is our determined effort to bring every thought and action under the sway of the kingdom of God. Nothing can be achieved without that inwardness. The Spirit of God will only strive against the spirit of the world when it has won its victory over that spirit in our hearts. And then finally, uh, another quote, this is actually from a sermon. So uh, having studied theology, uh, Schweitzer would preach. He would, do, he would also do organ concerts all around Europe, raising money for his mission back in Lamabene. But he would uh, also preach and uh, earn a little, little bit of money here and there, all to go towards the work and service uh, in the name of Jesus that he did here uh, in Africa. And he's most well known for this phrase, reverence for life. Uh, and so well, I just want to read just a few lines about this. This comes from a sermon he preached in 1990. What is this recognition, this knowledge within the reach of the most scientific and most childlike? It is reverence for life, reverence for the unfathomable mystery we confront in our universe, an existence different in its outward appearance, and yet inwardly of the same character as our own, terribly similar, possibly related. The strangeness between us and other creatures is here removed. Reverence for the infinity of life, means removal of the alienation, <clears throat> restoration of empathy, <laughs> compassion, and sympathy. And so the final result of knowledge is the same as that required of us by the commandment of love. Heart and reason agree together when we desire and dare to be men who seek to fathom the depths of the universe. So he's writing about big topics here, right? And you would expect that as a man with three PhDs. So, uh, if you didn't if you didn't capture all that in its reading, you probably weren't alone. But I, what I wanted is really to just to appreciate uh, that Schweitzer is, uh, for all that he is, he's a complicated man. Some in the church have painted him, yes, to be a heretic, but I, I think that he was more than a heretic, uh, that he was uh, devoted to Jesus in a way that many in the church even today had indeed a reverence for life, reverence for scripture, uh, and he put his life on the line, saying, I will give everything past the age of 30 will be yours, O oh God. And so we give thanks for Albert Schweitzer. And so every Sunday when we look up into that balcony and see him, we can give thanks for the life of Albert Schweitzer, Silas Johnson, Wilfred Grandfell, and David Livingston. Now we move on to talk about the shield. So pretend we're still in the sanctuary, and if you're wondering why the projector is here, that is part of the reason, because we did not get to talk about the shields. Uh, so if this looks unfamiliar, it's because you're not looking high enough, crank your neck, and look up uh, in the sanctuary when we go in for worship or uh, on your way out this morning. And you will notice at the top of every lancet in Along the east and west walls, there is the shield. This is the very first as you walk in by the lectern. Uh, and this is one of the mosaics. So this is, of course, the Star of Bethlehem, right? And then the next, this is, um, it's very hard to see the cross without this picture, right? There's a cross here with the seven, uh, seven flames, right, going outward, seven being a uh, seven vials of fiery tongues. So the other twelve shields are meant to, can you see this back there, the overflow section? Kind of, a little bit? Some of you can imagine what it looks like. So uh, the other twelve shields, as I said, are meant to uh, represent the apostles. There are twelve, and there were twelve apostles, but of course, one of those we don't talk Judas is not included in that number. Matthias later was elected to take his place. But our book, right, that blue and white book that talks all about the windows, actually makes reference to one of them belonging to Paul, who is not one of those twelve. Neither is he the number thirteen. If 
14. Um, so something more is going on here. Uh, if the book is correct, that means that one of the disciples got left out. Uh, and I spent quite a lot of time these last few weeks trying to figure out who that was. But as you'll learn today, it's a little difficult to figure that out because each, uh, each apostle is associated with traditions and with stories. And, and they're often, um, their images, sometimes they have just one image. Sometimes they have five or ten images that they're associated with, and there's overlap. Some people can be associated with the same image multiple times, so it's hard to figure out who is who. Um, often the images represent how they die. <coughs> Martyrdom in the early church is something to be referenced, revered. So the ways in which they die, those are the symbols that then came to represent the apostles themselves, right? They died for the cause of Christ, and this is how they died. So that's how we remember them. Um, and the book, going back to the book a moment, the book details the remaining shields, um, but the tradition, as I said, is just murky, and I think there are perhaps a few mistakes in the book, so it's difficult to determine exactly who, who each shield refers to. And unfortunately, that Whipple correspondence, those 200 plus pages of correspondence that I uh, read through in preparation for the class, it says almost nothing about the shields, except shields depicting 12 apostles. So we don't really know how much, uh, who they refer to or not. From Matthew chapter 10, uh, we hear the disciples uh, listed uh, when Jesus summons them. He gives them authority over unclean spirits, cast, to cast them out, unclean uh, spirits, curing every disease and every sickness. And these are the names of the 12 apostles. You have Simon, who's also known as Peter, his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, his brother John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, also known as Jude, Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. So we move on. Can everyone see this in the corners there? I don't know about the overflow section. Uh, okay, good. So this is, actually, let's but we can do this as an activity since we can all zoom in on this. What do we see here? Any ideas as to who this might represent? Peter. Right. Peter has the keys of the kingdom. Uh, so this one, this is pretty clearly Peter. There's no one else this is going to be. But then this one. Any idea? What do we see? Just not even, let's not even talk about the apostle yet. Just what do we see? We see a dragon or a griffin in a chalice. Okay, so um, St. John is associated with a serpent in a chalice. And that serpent in a chalice recalls that he was, uh, he was poisoned. He didn't die from it, but it was an attempt on his life. And then there's another attempt on his life by a Domitian. Uh, and he was a, where he, it was an eagle rising out of a cauldron of boiling oil. I don't know if the tradition was that he was almost boiled or not. Uh, and then there's also, uh, I saw also a griffin as one of them. So this is a mixed symbolism. I bet you never knew there was a griffin in the windows. I didn't deny until this week. Um, because when you get up close, you see that's, that's not quite a normal tail. Oh, that's a forked tongue. Something's, something's going on there, right? So that's most likely John. Associated with the fish, just the fish themselves. 
And Philip is associated with uh, a basket of bread. Uh, but it was Andrew who found the boy, who then brought these items in the uh, Gospel of John, I believe it was, uh, for the feeding of the twelve, or for the feeding of five thousand. So is this a mixed image of Philip and Andrew, even though we already have Andrew? I'm not sure. James, uh, the lesser again, uh, there's a tradition, right, back 2,000 years ago, we don't have good records of how everyone died, right? No, no city hall you can go to to get the death certificate. We don't always know. So these traditions live, and this tradition goes this way, and this tradition goes this way, and some, you know, it's like a game of telephone. Things change a little. So, uh, St. James, the lesser, is associated with the Fuller's Club, because somebody said he was beat to death. And then, somebody said he was sawn in half. That would be a, a way to go, right? And then we have an axe. And this is definitely a, a would not be the kind of axe that would have been around in those days, uh, in the days of the apostles. But look at the detail, even the grain of the wood. Isn't that something? Really detailed. And the axe is again associated with St. Bartholomew, the one who was skinned alive. Could also be associated with Jude and or even Matthew. Not sure. Now, this is the most complex of all the shields because we've got about four different things going on. What do we see?
may recall the story of uh, James the Elder, um, how he was called into ministry, and this scallop, this seashell here, is a symbol of pilgrimage, right? St. James, of course, uh, Santiago de Compostela, right? If you know that city in north, uh, western Spain, where lots of people do pilgrimages every year, um, this is what he is most well known for, his pilgrimages. And so that site in northwest Spain, Thousands of people walk to uh, every year uh, pilgrimage, St. James. And then finally, we have, say again, spears. two spears, crossed spears. And this is probably uh, related to the tradition of St. Thomas, right? Say, there's a few different reasons why it could be that there's two. Thomas is called Didymus in the old text, right, in the KJV. That's just the word for twin. So there's two. We don't know who his twin was, I don't think. Um, but that could be one of the reasons there's two. Um, but there's also a tradition whereby Thomas was killed by being speared. Or could this refer to how Jesus had the spear in his side and Thomas didn't believe, doubting Thomas, right, in the tradition? This is all Brian's doing. No, yeah, Brian Kohler, our sound technician, uh, who also works at Malone full time in their tech uh, sound department. He borrowed a camera from Malone and telescopic lens from across the sanctuary. He did Brian a lot of work. Yeah. So I'm hoping he'll do all the windows for uh, for us as well. Yeah, go ahead, Brian. James the Lesser. When they say Lesser, is that in age or for their uh, importance? I believe it refers to. differently 
dressed differently in some ways. I just don't know. I don't. It could be that these are the Israelites and these are the um, Philistines. pointing to Jesus coming, 
but that's not really a scene as much as an imagined, you know, compilation. So, um, we have we have some more notes to read. Who wants to read in a big loud voice so we can pick it up on our recording device here?
we'll start over here. Originally in the cartoon, right, the, the mock-up drawing of this, the natives were uh, there on top, right? Uh, of course, remind, let's remind ourselves where these were coming from. These were coming from England with different sensibilities of art, and uh, they are a lot more open uh, to, to those sorts of things. Um, but we, in 1960, United States, right, uh, especially in the church, we can't have hair-breasted women. Let's put some drapery over them. They're okay in the library, however. Uh, yes, yes. Don't look too closely in the library. <laughs> so a few more months later, um, when the ch uh, this is another note from Fred Weeks of the Payne Company to Whipple, saying, when at the church last week, the pastor gave me the further and final comments on the, the full-size drawings of the chapel windows. The David and Goliath window needs some attention. They feel that David's face is a bit thin and effeminate, and feel that if it was made a little more robust and perhaps the hair rearranged a little, he would have a more youthful appearance. And they feel that the sling is far too ornamental and looks more like a musical instrument. And they feel that this should represent more of a rope and or a thong. In other words, not not something quite so artistic, but more like the actual items it's supposed to represent. The stone lodge in the fort of Goliath should be roughened up a little and look more like a, a stone rather than the appearance of a growth. <laughs> <laughs> now, these criticisms may sound rather a lot, but I'm sure that when you yeah. view the situation, you'll find a few strokes of the brush or pencil will make a lot of difference. And it should not give you too much trouble, even though you have almost completed the window. The Blessing Children window is all right, with the exception that in the case of each child, they complain that the necks are too long, and we must shorten the necks of these children. And I think possibly these may be partially corrected if the chins of the children are put into proportion, particularly the two young fellows on the left hand. So, among all the windows, even the ones in the sanctuary, these were the ones that were, uh, in those correspondence that I read, these were the ones that were criticized the most, which is really, uh, really quite something. Uh, and I think some of those criticisms, perhaps we could even make today, I mean, look, look at this head, where is it here? Look at that, the head of uh, Goliath. That, Flat stone, perhaps, yeah. And the, the idea that it was a growth. And then uh, by June of 1960, so that last letter that I just wrote was the beginning of April, right? So these windows are probably already finished, but they don't know it in New Jersey yet. So they're criticizing things that are probably pretty much done. So did those things get fixed? I'm not sure. Uh, by June of 1960, the end of June, these windows have now been installed, and the report is that everyone is delighted with them. But, <laughs> this panel, the head of Goliath was, appropriately, kind of funny too, was shattered in transit into a dozen pieces. really close, it's kind of hard, and unless you, you get up very close, if you start to compare the colors, right, uh, so this is, I believe this is one pane, right, even though there's the separator here, I think it's two pieces, um, so if you start to compare the coloration from here to here, you can see that this is a little darker, this is a little lighter, we talked about a few weeks ago how trying to get the exact same colors in windows is extremely difficult. They already made it, and they broke, and they had to make a new one. The same thing, I think I failed to mention this last week, but Silas Johnson, the panel of Silas Johnson, also broke in transit. So this isn't the only one. There were two panels that making that uh, Atlantic journey uh, being shattered and needed to be remade. Uh, and then I want to turn your attention to, uh, turn around, if you can. I'm going to turn a light on. 
the best seat in the house, and they don't. Oh, some people are thinking of switch. There we go. So what do we see here? The Sea of Galilee, okay. Big men in small boats. <laughs> oh, that's really true.
also been done by Whipple, but I was unclear on that. So it would make sense if they're putting these in. Yeah, put another one in here. Uh, yep. What kind of protective covering are on the outside of all these windows? I do not know the exact kind of type, but I know that there is some protective layer. Uh, so a stone hit and it wouldn't break it. No. Yeah, it's a plate. together. 